experience. His failure to invest money wisely is not due to any want of intelligence or of proper care and foresight on his part, as he sometimes seems to believe, but simply because he is ignorant of the principles of a business which differs radically from his own. The investment of money is a banker's business. When the average man has funds to invest, whether he be a businessman or a pure investor, he should consult some experienced and reliable investment banker just as he would consult a doctor or a lawyer if he were in need of medical or legal advice. This book is not intended to take the place of consultation with a banker, but to supplement it. The advantage of such consultation is shown by the fact that if a man attempts to rely on his own judgment, he is almost certain not to do the best thing, even if his business instinct leads him to avoid those enterprises which are more plainly unpromising or fraudulent. It should be remembered, however, that widows and orphans are not the only ones ensnared by attractive advertisements and the promise of brilliant returns. In most cases, widows and orphans' funds are protected by conscientious and conservative trustees, and it is the average businessman who furnishes the money which is ultimately lost in all propositions which violate the fundamental laws of investment. The average man is led into these unwise investments through a very natural error of judgment. Accustomed to take reasonable chances and to make large returns in his own business, he fails to detect anything fundamentally wrong in a proposition simply because it promises to pay well. He forgets that the rate of interest on invested money, or pure interest, is very small, and that anything above that can only come as payment for management, as he makes in his own business or at the sacrifice of some essential factor of safety which will usually lead to disaster. For the successful investment of money, however, a good deal more is required than the mere ability to select a safe security. That is only one phase of the problem. Scientific investment demands a clear understanding of the fundamental distinctions between different classes of securities and strict adherence to the two cardinal principles, distribution of risk, and selection of securities in accordance with real requirements. One of the most important distinctions is that between promises to pay and equities. Bonds, real estate mortgages, and loans on collateral represent somebody's promise to pay a certain sum of money at a future date, and if the promise be good and the security ample, the holder of the promise will be paid the money at the time due. On the other hand, equities, such as the capital stocks of banking, railway, and industrial corporations represent only a certain residuary share in the assets and profits of a working concern after payment of its obligations and fixed charges. The value of this residuary share may be large or small, may increase or diminish, but in no case can the holder of such a share require anyone, least of all the company itself, to redeem the certificate representing his interest at the price he paid for it, nor indeed at any price. If a man buys a $1,000 railroad bond, he knows that the railroad, if solvent, will pay him $1,000 in cash when the bond is due. But if he buys a share of railroad stock, his only chance of getting his money back, if he should wish it, is that someone else will want to buy his share for what he paid for it or more. In one case he has bought a promise to pay, and in the other an equity. It is not the intention from the foregoing to draw the conclusion that equities under no circumstances are to be regarded as investments, because many of our bank and railroad stocks, and even some of our public utility and industrial stocks, have attained a stability and permanence of value 
and possess sufficiently long dividend records to justify their consideration when investments are contemplated. But it is essential that the investor should have a thorough understanding of the distinction involved. The principle of distribution of risk is a simple one. It involves no more than obedience to the old rule which forbids putting all one's eggs in the same basket. The number of men who carry out this principle with any thoroughness, however, is very small. Proper distribution means not only the division of property among the various forms of investment, as railroad bonds, municipals, mortgages, public utility bonds, etc., but also the preservation of proper geographical proportions within each form. Adherence to this principle is perhaps not so important for private investors as for institutions. A striking instance of the need for insistence upon its observance in the institutional field was furnished by one of the fire insurance companies of San Francisco after the earthquake. It appears that the company's assets were largely invested in San Francisco.